my wife and I had a chance uh, to pray together this morning before I, before I left. And I, I just said to her, I said, we, we need to do this more. <laughs> you know, we, be, we need to be in the scriptures more. We need to be praying more versus grabbing our phones or our laptops or whatever else because there's something so powerful about, in fact, we know this to be true, that when, when we personally or together will engage and weave our lives with the scriptures and with prayer, that's where transformation happens. That's why we're in this series called the New Testament Challenge, because we know if we go down deep and stay down long in God's word that he has for us, it will change us from the inside out. It won't make us smarter like, you know, you, you'll, you'll join the Mensa Club, but it'll actually regenerate who we are deep in our core. And that's why we're doing this series. We're about midway through it all. At this little Green Beret Challenge, could we walk through all the scriptures of the, New, of the New Testament and just see what are those big themes that pop? I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been outside the red ropes wanting inside beyond the door? If you ever wanted to get into a club you couldn't get into, backstage you wanted to be, have that VIP pass or whatever else, and you weren't let in for, for one reason or another, because you didn't like, you know, pass, what is it, pass mustard? Is that the, the phrase? I don't even know. That doesn't feel right to me. I probably just said something really silly. Yeah. Well, it happened to me. And... And it was no fun. I, I'm going back 20 years ago. Uh, I was working for a company that we had a huge client and job in Hawaii. So my company moved me to Hawaii. How cool is that? In fact, my trajectory of life, if you must know, I grew up in Long Beach, California, went to school in Santa Barbara, moved to Hawaii, and then I landed in Kansas. Was, was, you know? So it's just like, man, it's incredible. But there I was. I was in Hawaii, and I was working this program out, and it, went, uh, it was going well, so well, that our client was a Fortune, I think, 100 company at the time, and it was gaining the attention of the C-suite executive leaders back on the mainland. So they sent out a, like a scouting crew of, of executives to come see all that's going great in this program that, uh, that, that I was a part of, and I was tasked with entertaining them one night. Now, how many of you like entertain clients? It's part of your job. You're in sales or whatever. Like, it's stressful. It's challenging. I know that now. Back then, I didn't know that. I just thought, well, we'll just go to a restaurant. We'll get in. We'll have a good time. I gave no thought to the fact that I've got like 12 executives in tow with me and that I should probably go check out to see if maybe there would be a reservation. If maybe there'd be a place for us. I just like, well, there's this place on the beach. It's in Waikiki, and it'll all work out. And so there I am with 12 executives. It was one of those places where there's a restaurant up, up front, but then there's the side door around back, and that's where you want to kind of get around to the side door. And I knew that much. So I lead them all, Mr. Cool Guy, around to the side door, and there is a huge Hawaiian gentleman in a floral shirt and in uh, uh, sandals, but they called them slippers, and he's standing like this in front of the door. And he was like this, that, right? And I said, hi, um, there'll be 12 of us, is what I said. He goes, I go, what, what, what? But he goes, we're full. And I try to look around him. I go, you don't seem full. We're full. Now you can imagine, 
with my pigmentation. I am pretty red at this point, and I'm feeling the heat of these, you know, executives kind of going, what's going on? And I turn around to tell them we're going to have to go find somewhere else to eat. How bad is this? When? Bill. Bill Gibbons. Bless Bill Gibbons. Bill grew up in New York. Bill then lived in L.A. and worked for a high-power advertising agency. Bill does this to me. He kind of like swoops around me, pulls something out of his pocket, grabs the bouncer's hands, and gives him the two-pump fist shake like that. The next thing I know, the bouncer nods. Bill turns to all of us, says, this way, guys. And everyone just happily glides in <laughs> backstage to this private kind of club. And I, my, my bacon has been saved, right? And I'm like thrilled. I'm also really embarrassed. And I learned something in that day. One is, in this world, cash opens up doors. <laughs> and floral shirts look really manly on big people. Like, <laughs> and slippers. I mean, it's like, wow, that guy's big. And that's true about our world in every respect, isn't it? is that if you want to get in somewhere, there's uh, generally people that want to keep you out because they feel a little bit better about being in if they at least keep a few people out. And this is always true. If you want to get into a country club, you got to pay what? Dues, your membership dues. If you want to get into Mensa, you got to be what? Smart, right? You got, I don't know, is that an IQ test? I don't know how that, how that works. And this actually goes all the way back to us being kids. You build a fort, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you build a fort? You create a passcode. Right? You're like, let's do the secret knock thing so that only certain people get in. There is this bifurcation thing that you and I, that we've got going on, where we have a bouncer spirit, where we want only certain in and and many other certain people out. There's something broken in us, and this was no different back in the day of Jesus. In the day of Jesus, there were certain clear-cut codes, who got in and who got out. There were all sorts of rules, there were all sorts of commandments, there were all sorts of uh, general kind of ways that people were kept in their certain places. Take the Jerusalem temple, for example. This gives a real physical sense of how only certain people were allowed backstage. So there was a humongous courtyard that sat up on what was called the, the mount and there was what was called the court of the Gentiles, meaning Gentiles could go there, but they couldn't go any farther. And if you step on kind of the, the temple proper, women could only go so far, but not much further. And men, if you were just like a normal guy, you could go a little further, but not too far. And if you were a priest, you could get further in, but not as far as the high priest who could go all the way in, but only one day out of the year to be in God's full and complete presence. Do you get that? Do you see the, how it's just kind of staged for one person? If you're this, you can go here. If you're not that, you can't go there, right? And they actually had what was called a balustrade around the temple proper. It was like this wall that went up just a little bit maybe up to your knees or higher. And this balustrade had signs posted all around the temple proper. And we actually have archaeological findings of that sign. I want to show it to you here. And here's what it says. No foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he put to blame for the death which will ensue. How is that for in or out? So what they're saying is you have to have the right bloodline. Foreigner is code for Gentile. Gentile simply means you're not of Jewish bloodline, right? And they're just saying literally 
we'll stone you to death for this. Because in the days when Jesus arrives on the scene, there are bouncers. They're called Pharisees, teachers of the law, and scribes. I want you just to hear this. This comes from Matthew 23, verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Get this. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You shut the door into people's faces. And what I hope as we're reading through the New Testament that we're seeing is that we've got a new sheriff in town. We've got a new bouncer. And actually in Hebrews, which is where we we were, if you look at Hebrews chapter 3, we'll see this. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. He's the bouncer. He is faithful as his son over God's house, and we are his house, we as a people, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Love this, but here's the new thing. The new thing is that Jesus makes a horrible bouncer. He's really bad at it. He's like, he, he wants to let everyone in. I mean, this is really like, if you're gonna be a bouncer, what's your job? Keep people out. What does Jesus do? Hey, you in the tree, the one who's been cheating all the people, all your own people, I want to have dinner with you. Like, I want you in. Hey, you in the tax collection booth over here, like, you know what? No one likes you. You're despised. I want you in, right? Hey, you, you've just been, it's horrible, but you were dragged in the act of adultery out here, and there's a circle around you. Everyone's got stone in their hands. I want you in. Like, Jesus was horrible at doing his job according to how everyone else wanted him to do his job. But what do we testify today? What's the big testament we're giving today is that Jesus wants everyone in. As the new bouncer, as the one who's faithful over God's house, Jesus wants everyone in. Look at 2 Peter here. This is true about the heart of God, that God is patient with you and with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And repentance just means Turn, turn into your better life. Turn towards relationship. This isn't like shame on you, you're scum of the earth and all that. No, like repentance means turn, think differently about this and enter into the club. Jesus wants everyone into the club and it made everyone totally ticked off. And I love it. And he did have a passcode. What do you think it was? So in your reading, as you survey, okay, What I remember of Jesus, if it were one word, what would that word be? Love. Love it. That's good. Now, Lisa, Lisa, I know you're going to get called out because you just gave the right answer. See, here's how this was going to roll. You were all going to give your answers, and they all be good and fine, but none of you would have actually had my answer, see? That's awesome. I don't know if you heard her. She said the word Whoever, whoever, that is, that is so crazy cool. Like who gets into the country club? Whoever, who gets into Mensa? Whoever, who gets into the fort? Whoever, who gets around backstage? Whoever, Jesus uses the word whoever uh, 78 times it's recorded, 234 times in the whole scripture. 12 times in the book of Mark. Whoever wants to become my disciple, whoever has will be given more. Whoever wants to find their life must lose his life. He goes on and on and on. The all call is whoever, which is really important. 
Max Lucado would often ask the question of, of folks, how many of you think you're a somebody? And hardly anyone would be like, oh, somebody, I don't know if I'm a somebody, I don't know if I'm a VIP, I don't know, what do you mean by somebody? But if I were to ask all of us, how many of you are whoever? Who's a whoever? Like, I, I, we're all whoever's, right? Jew, Gentile, male, female, socioeconomic status, color, all, background, all these things you've done yesterday, things you did years ago that should have disqualified you, but now they don't. Why? Because Jesus is a horrible bouncer, and he wants everyone in, and his all call to you and to me is whoever, and that actually is a bit of the challenge. That is a bit of the challenge. In fact, I want to look at four places that Jesus uses the term whoever and just see what we learn about what's it like to, to, to kind of live in this backstage kingdom of God. What's, it, what's required of us as he invites us in? Number one, challenge number one is whoever listens well. Everyone's welcomed in, but how, do we, how does this work for you and me? Well, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, it's really, you know, interesting. Jesus is taking physical hearing, like, I've got ears, I know, I, I hear things. But he's drilling it down to spiritual listening, which really brings us to the paradox of listening, which is we have our part and God does his part. We must open our hearts to want to hear God. And we cannot hear God unless he first opens up our hearts. Do you get the paradox? It's kind of weird that way. There's something that goes on in what Jesus, when he's giving that call and he gives it a lot, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's, he's asking for like our spirits to be broken at the deep inner places of, of who we are where there's this new ability, and I would call it a supernatural ability. And this is uh, really important for us going through the New Testament challenge. How often or in our lives have we gone to the scriptures like it's just all gobbledygook, I don't understand any of it. And then, bam, all of a sudden, you're like, I've been reading this for years, but now it's exploding in my hands. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on, is that you have listened well, and that God has opened your heart to hear, and you have opened your heart to hear. And so, in the midst of paradox, I would just give you a, a simple prayer and phrase, like, God, help me to hear, I want to hear. God, help me to hear, I want to hear. Just pray that before you read the scriptures. God, I don't believe this is just a physical book. I believe this is a spiritual and physical book. It's a supernatural book. It's the, it's the inerrant words of you from your deep heart for all time and all people. Help me to hear it, receive it. Whoever listens well. God, help me to do that. That's number, number one. Number two, and, and here's the challenge. Look at it with me here. Whoever does cool stuff. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. <laughs> Whoever does cool stuff, right? Now, what do we mean by cool stuff? We don't mean that flippantly. Jesus will actually explain. Whoever does the will of God. 
Whoever does the will of God. And that's cool stuff. I'm just saying that if you're going to join and align yourself with all that God wants to see in our world, your kingdom come, your will be done, the next thing you know, you're caring for neighbors in a whole different way. The next thing you know, you're turning to your spouse in a whole different way. The next thing you know, at school, you're living differently. The next thing you know, you're caring about your city and beyond. The next thing you know, you're stepping over boundaries and lines. You're circumventing the bouncers. That's what we mean by cool stuff. And what's really neat about this moment where Jesus says this is that he's at at some level of tension with his mom and his brothers because he's blowing away all of the bouncers and they're probably afraid that he's gonna lose his life, which he does, spoiler alert, I know. But they're also maybe a little embarrassed by some of the things that he's saying. He's bringing some hardcore, wild truth. And so Jesus in a setting, not quite like this, but a little bit like this, meaning it's packed, it's crowded, everyone's like leaning into what Jesus has to say. And mother, Jesus' mom, and brothers are outside. Why? Because they want to come take him away to save them embarrassment and maybe perhaps save Jesus' life. And so Jesus gets message from outside. Jesus, your mother and your brother, they're here for you. But Jesus knows why, why they're here. So then he goes esoteric on them. He says, who are my mother and brother and sisters? And in this moment, he radically defines what it means to be backstage, what it means to be in Jesus' household, what it means to be a part of his family. This is where he says, well, who's my mother, brother, and sister? It's whoever does, whoever does the will of God, whoever does cool stuff. And it begs kind of the question for you and for me, as we're living into this kingdom now, am I fully living into the role and the call of what it means to be backstage, what it means to be in the family? And I I wanna parse that a little bit with one of my favorite things in the world, the holy inspired Foursquare Matrix. (laughs) What does it mean to be family? I want you to think about this. What does it mean to be family in your household? By the way, what constitutes family? Is it bloodline? No, no. And so at its core, there are really two pillars. And one is you have to have relationship where you are known and you are known and you are loved, right? And the other thing you need is relation, uh, excuse me, responsibility. This is where you are needed. Known and needed. That's really what makes up, you know, this works in church, this works at home. Because how many of us as parents were like, I think my kids are known, but I don't know that they've got enough needed responsibility at hand. And what happens when we have one without the other? If you uh, have relationship, but you don't have responsibility and you're in the home, guess what you are? You are what we call a guest. And guests are awesome, Right? Disneyland thrives on giving guests world-class experiences. Guests are great when they're in your home, except for when, when what? They stay too long, <laughs> right? They stay too long, and they're just like poaching off the land, right? And they never get up. They're not get, grabbing into the fridge. They, they're not grabbing their own glass of water. And my mom has a phrase, she's super hospitable, but she, she'll say this about guests, that guests are uh, really, the, the limit's about three days, because anything beyond three days, they start to smell like spoiled fish, is what she said. Did that sound bad? 
Okay, the, okay. well, let's bring that back, because I thought everyone would laugh in that moment, but you didn't. You didn't, so now I'm going to go do some counseling about my own family of origin, all right? Um, but you are a guest, right? Now, if you um, are one where you know you're needed, but you don't know whether you're loved or known, you are what? Anybody want to take a guess? Okay, yeah, servant. I'm just going to put more in our terms. You're an employee, right? Now, in some, in some workplace cultures, by the way, this works as well. For any of you that runs companies or teams, this totally works. Are my folks known and needed, or are they one or the other? But yeah, you, just, you know you're needed, you just don't know whether you're cared for, loved, and known. Now, what if you're neither? What are you here? I heard it from, like a, a, the, from the mouth of an infant or babe. Come on, stranger. And what do we say about strangers? Come on, that's right. That's right. Man. So good. Parenting well. Now, to take a turn on you in the idea of family, this would also be the orphan category. I've been abandoned. I don't, I'm not known and I'm not needed anywhere. Therefore, where do I go? In, the, um, in our household categories, some of us might, if we're a guest too long, we're loved, and we know that's never going away, but we're not brought challenge, then this leads to a spoiled kind of enablement where the world evolves around me. If all we know is that we're, we're, we're needed, I've got my chore list, but I'm not sure I'm loved, this is where I begin to feel shame because I'm never enough, can never do enough for your blessing. And in the church world, by the way, many of us say, I've been coming around for a long time, I have some relationships, but if I didn't show up on a Sunday or at a gathering, I don't know if anyone would notice because I'm not needed. Others of us serve all day long, right? We show up, but we, cl we clock in, clock out, and not sure whether folks care. And so what makes a family is we have to be both known and needed. We have to know that we, the relationship is secure, and I have responsibility such that when the bouncer invites me in, when Jesus says, whoever does the will of the Father in heaven, whoever does God's will, well, when you step into that, yes, it's through relationship, but we have responsibility in the kingdom of God, and they go together. And so I ask that question of each of us. Where are you on this? And if, if you're here, that's okay. You're not a danger, by the way. You're not a danger. It just simply means that you're just checking things out. But maybe you want to go, I'm going to join an A2 community. Or maybe you're going to serve on the coffee team or the greeting team. Or, uh, you know, it's wintertime. I'm sure we're going to need some, some parking lot folks, you know, doing the, like whatever that is. Are you known? Are you needed as you step in to family? Challenge number one, whoever listens well. Challenge number two, whoever does cool stuff. Challenge number three, whoever loves widely. Widely. Jesus says this in a kind of a hardcore conversation with his disciples. He says, whoever is not against us is for us. Think about, think about how radical a statement that is in our time and era right now. 
whoever is not against us is for us. And guess what the disciples, the, the whole conversation is about these other cats. And he's like, and they literally say, they're not one of us. That is the prevailing message in our society today, is it not? They're not one of us. And Jesus says, whoever's not against us is for us. So I want to be really clear about this. Okay? Jesus also says, uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path and few are the ones that find it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. There are lines, there are boundaries in the kingdom of heaven. But don't forget this. Jesus is the bouncer. I'm not. You're not. And how many of us, if we search our spirits, we go, yeah, you know what? There is a spirit in me that says, not one of us. I see a bumper sticker, not one of us. I see a yard sign, not one of us. It triggers me, right? When I search the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the whole New Testament, I am not off the hook to love widely. I can believe narrowly. I can go, here, here are the, the, the essentials of my faith, but I love St. Augustine and what he says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love, love. And I would just submit to you that I think we, we mess up our mountains from our molehills. We're piling a lot of other things, whether it's political, ideological, preferential, into the essential bucket and we start drawing lines. And then rather, I wanna challenge each of us just to go, all right, Jesus is the bouncer, not me. Jesus wants everyone in. Do I? Do I really? When I see a bumper sticker that I disagree with, it triggers me. What happens in my spirit, oh God, would you root that out and move me towards a posture of love? That's what it's like to live in God's house and in his party. We love wildly. I have a friend named Jason. Jason grew up and as he got into high school, college, and beyond, he got backstage to a lot of dark places in his life. Literally was living in some very dark and seedy clubs. His whole rhythm of life, as he's going to these places, he was known and needed in a really destructive place in his life. And it was going on for years and for years. But he had a mom. And his mom didn't shame him. His mom didn't just rail against him. His mom just chose to be patient, not wanting his son to perish, to be mostly quiet, and she just chose to pray. She just prayed. But she said one thing to Jason. This is now 20, 30 years ago, and he's never forgotten it, and I've never forgotten what she said when he told it to me. Just in a quiet and a humble moment, she just looked at him and she said, son, I want more for you. I want more for you. She didn't say, I want something from you. She didn't say shame on you. But she knows what it's like to be backstage. She knows what it's like to be at the party in the household. She knows the life and the joy and the adventure. 
And what he couldn't see, she was experiencing in her heart, just said, I want this for you. And I believe that's the message of God for you and for me, that he wants this for you. He wants you in the party. And the good, great news of heaven is that Jesus came and was a horrible bouncer because by his life and his death and his resurrection, he opened the doors that everyone tries to shut. Who shut a door on you? Is it happening in your mind? Like, I don't, I don't belong. I could never get backstage because I've done this or I've done that or I'm not the right kind of person. That's the message of the bouncers of the world who might want to shut the door in your face or in my face. But Jesus wants to open it up wide. Why? Because the stone is rolled away. Because he traded his life for your life. And now everyone... In other words, and now whoever is welcome to God's party, amen? And so the last challenge is, the challenge is to believe boldly. Whoever believes and gets baptized, the scriptures say, will enter into the kingdom of heaven and will not be condemned. They'll be rescued. They'll be saved. And I just want to encourage you two things. Number one, if in that spirit of yours, you're playing the bouncer, stop. It's not your job. Love widely. And two, if you keep thinking that you're not welcome to the party, stop. Because God's love never ends for you. It's always available to you, so step boldly. Because the bouncer has opened the door wide. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say yes, Jesus. Thank you, and amen.